At the end of the lesson last week, I was uh, kind of giving a preview of what's to come, and I was shooting from the hip a little bit, you know, uh, and I think I was not remembering correctly what was dealt with in this, uh, this lesson here, uh, the aggravations of the sin of murmuring uh, from the hip, I took that to mean these are the kinds of things that aggravate the sin of mur- murmuring. Uh, that stir them up within us. In fact, uh, the meaning is is different um, when we're speaking of the aggravations of the sin of murmuring. Uh, Burroughs is talking about the things that make murmuring exceedingly sinful. So, to murmur and to be discontent is always sinful, but murmuring and discontentment is even more sinful in these circumstances. So, I, I got that wrong last week. You, you probably didn't even notice and didn't remember, so I should have just let it go. But uh, I thought I'd say so uh, at the beginning of the lesson this morning. But let's open in a word of prayer and then we'll uh, proceed. Our Father in heaven, do bless us with this gift of contentment. This has been our prayer all along through this study. I pray that our faith would be strong, true, sincere that our love for You would be genuine, O Lord, uh, that we would learn to find our hope and our peace, our contentment in You, O Lord, so that we can be at peace even in the midst of the true afflictions of this life. Uh, We pray for this gift. uh, Help us to understand what it is. Help us to understand how to attain it. Help us to see um, how vile it is to be discontent um, as a Christian so that we might turn from the sin into Christ. So have mercy upon us, O Lord. Give us Your grace. Strengthen us so that we might have this precious gift. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. In the introduction to this chapter, it's very brief. Uh, Burroughs says, Now because it is very hard to work upon a murmuring spirit, there are many aggravations which we must consider for the further setting out of the greatness of this sin. I think driving out of we're to see how great this sin is um, if we're to drive it out from us. Um, I do appreciate that Burroughs in the introduction again acknowledges that this is hard work. And it's something that I've reminded you of all along in this study. Uh, we need to work hard at this. We need to pursue a contentment. Godliness with contentment is great gain. It's something that must be learned. It can be very hard work. And so I appreciate that uh, reminder here. Um, And again, I I will say that to aggravate is to make worse, more serious, or more severe. We don't speak quite in this way today. So when we're talking about the aggravations of the sin of murmuring, we're talking about um, what it is that makes the sin of murmuring even more severe. Um, Murmuring and discontentment is always sinful, but it's even more so in these uh, these instances, in in these circumstances. And so there are 11... Uh, aggravations of the sin of murmuring, first typo already, I I apologize for that. Uh, These are 11 things that make the sin of murmuring especially sinful. Uh, These are very insightful observations, I think, very convicting. Number one, to murmur when we enjoy an abundance of mercy. Uh, That is, the greater and the more abundant the mercy that we enjoy, the greater and viler is the sin of murmuring. This is a, is a good observation, but it, it's a rather obvious one, right? If we, are, if we are really blessed, and yet we complain against God, then that murmuring is especially vile. 
so I quote Burroughs, to be discontented in any afflicted condition is sinful and evil, but to be discontented when we are in the midst of God's mercies, when we are not able to count the mercies of God, still to be discontented because we have not got all we would have, this is a greater evil. Objection. So Burroughs anticipates an objection. You will say, yes, but you do not know what our afflictions are. Our afflictions are such as you do not conceive of because you do not feel them. So this is the congregant speaking back to their pastor, I guess. You know, yeah, you're talking to us about contentment. Uh, you're talking to us about the evils of murmuring, but you don't understand uh, our afflictions. Uh, perhaps you've thought that uh, in this study at some point. Um, you don't understand what it's like to go through what I'm going through. Um, I have been, I have been pressed with that objection, not concerning discontentment before, but concerning other things. You know, um, you haven't experienced what I have experienced, therefore you can't speak to this. And think if we were to apply that uh, to every situation in life, we could never speak to each other at all about temptation or sin or heartache, because in reality. All of our circumstances are somewhat unique. Um, all of us have lived different lives. We, we've been raised differently. We, we've had different afflictions come upon us. Um, really, I think it is just an ill-conceived idea that in order to speak to something, you know, to encourage someone or to rebuke someone, you have to have gone through what they've gone through. That it's just that's false from the start. Uh, in fact, we've all experienced similar kinds of afflictions. Um, we know what it is to live in this world together, and we have the truth of God's Word, and certainly ministers must be, bring the truth of God's Word to bear upon the various afflictions and, and circumstances of life, even if they themselves have not gone through uh, the kinds of afflictions that others have gone through in the congregation. And here is how Burroughs answers, Though I cannot know what your afflictions are, yet I know what your mercies are. And I know they are so great that I am sure that there can be no afflictions in this world as great as the mercies you have. So we have Christ in common. We have our richness in Him in common. We have our inheritance in Him in common, etc. So um, I think it's a, a nice reply here. In fact, this section is rather long in the chapter. It's in this chapter and in this section in particular that I see that Burroughs, I mean, he almost gets a little bit more aggressive with the congregation as he delivers these messages to them. It's as you sense that there's a real problem in the church that he's addressing. Uh, throughout this book, it, it, I haven't sensed that so much, but in this chapter you sense that he really sets his sight upon a problem that has uh, arisen within the congregation, within the church in his day. That there is a lot of grumbling going on, but there's also a lot of mercy that's been shown to the people of God in this day. And he draws their attention to that. You're grumbling, you're complaining, but think about the mercies that have come upon us. Think about how the Lord has blessed this nation. Uh, and, and yet here we are grumbling and complaining. It's a very pointed chapter and a very pointed section. He speaks uh, of the story of Job. He speaks of the story of, of Job. And he... Uh, refers specifically to the second chapter of Job, verse 10, where Job's wife speaks to him. Uh, Job's wife, remember, encourages him to curse God and die. Uh, you know, just a very awful piece of advice, a very awful ex, uh, 
exhortation there from the wife of Job to Job. He says this is a degree beyond murmuring. Uh, why he said, and here is a Job's response, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women. Shall we receive good at the hand of God and not evil? And here Burroughs makes this observation that Job helped himself against all murmuring thoughts against the ways of God with this consideration that he had received so much good from the Lord. So how did Job push back against that awful suggestion from his own wife? Um, The Lord has blessed us so much. Shall we receive blessings from God? Shall we receive good and not evil? Should we not instead be in, in in a state of mind where we are willing to receive whatever the Lord brings our way and submit ourselves to Him? That is how Job strengthened himself to resist that temptation to even curse God and die as he was in the midst of very terrible afflictions. So the point is this, to murmur when we enjoy an abundance of mercy is a, is a, great, is a great evil. It's an aggravation of the sin of murmuring. Two, when we murmur for small things, when we murmur for small things, thus it is with many, says Seneca, a non-believing philosopher, Though they have a great many comforts about them, and here in this passage Seneca is talking about those who have great gardens and many trees, just a very lush and fertile landscape about them on their estate, yet some little thing, the blowing off of a few leaves from them, is enough to disquiet him, the one who is in a pleasant position. So here I'm citing just a small piece from this passage, but Seneca describes someone living in a very pleasant environment, and yet they're disquieted when just a few leaves blow off from their many trees. You know, they have this abundance of fruit. They live in, in, in the midst of a, a paradise, as it were, on earth, and yet a few leaves blow off from their trees, and, and they're disquieted. So Seneca notices this, and Burroughs quotes him and says, yes, sometimes men are like this. Um, you know, things are quite well in life, but just a few little tiny things go wrong, and, and they're and they're sent into a tizzy about it, right? So it is an especially evil thing when we murmur for small things. Three, it is an aggravation of the sin of murmuring when men of gifts and abilities to whom God has given wisdom, when they are discontented and murmur, um, is, is more than if others do it. So he is calling those who have been given gifts and abilities, wisdom, Uh, to rise above uh, the afflictions of life, um, to count these blessings and to not be pulled down by the afflictions of life, but to rise above it and to give thanks to God for the gifts and abilities that they possess, the wisdom that they possess. So discontentment and murmuring is always a sinful thing, but it's especially sinful when you see those who have these gifts and abilities granted by God, when they do it, it's especially sinful. Four, the consideration of the freeness of all God's mercies to us. Whatever we have is free of cost. So the translation is this, when we stop to think about how all of God's mercies have been bestowed upon us freely, then we see just how vile the sin of murmuring is. Whatever we have is free of cost. What Though we have not got all we would have, seeing what we have is free. If we have 
If what we have were earned, then it would be something. But when we consider that all is from God, for us to murmur at His dispensations is very evil. Suppose a man were entertained in a friend's family and did not pay for his board, but had it given him for nothing, you would not expect him to be ready to find fault with everything in the house, with servants, or with meat at the table, or the like. So the illustration clarifies the point very nicely, right? Uh, The Lord has graciously given to us all things in Christ Jesus. These are free gifts from Him, and those who murmur and complain are kind of like those who are given free room and board in a house, and yet they complain about this and that continuously. <laughs> you're a guest in the home. You're, you're being blessed by this family. Who are you to complain against your host about this little thing or that? Uh, so when we consider the freeness of God's mercies to us, it, it ought to make this, the, the sin of murmuring and discontent to see all, seem all the more vile. Five, for men and women to murmur and be disquieted and impatient when they have the things uh, for the lack which they were discontented before. Uh, here he describes those who, who murmur because they lack something and then they come to have it and then they continue to murmur even more. <laughs> um, why would someone do this? In fact, I think it was addressed in the previous chapter um, that if we do not root this sin out all the way from our heart, it won't do any good To gain this thing or that, murmuring for us will simply be a way of life. Discontentment will be a way of life. So we might complain that we need a raise, and we might murmur and grumble against God because we do not make enough money. Well, if you do not root that sin out all the way, when you get the raise, you're going to find something else to grumble and complain about. I think that is the point that is um, being made here. Uh, it, it's especially vile when, when we murmur and complain about some lack, and then when we have the thing that we lacked before, we continue to murmur and complain against God instead of giving thanks to Him for the blessing that has come our way. Uh, here is a little quote that I thought um, was, was very helpful. Uh, so that, as we say, we are not well, either full or fasting. Um, so, if we're full... We complain. If we're fasting, we complain. If we're full, we complain. If we're fasting, we complain. Um, Perhaps you've met people like this. There's just always something wrong. Always something to complain about. Perhaps you're this way and need to turn from that sin. Uh, We need to learn to, to count our blessings, brothers and sisters, and to give thanks to God for the good things of life, and not to fixate upon what we don't have, and to live this life of of grumbling. Number six, for those men and women to be discontented and murmur whom God has raised from mean and low estates and positions. Uh, So here he is referring to those whom God has lifted up. Uh, God has shown grace and mercy to these. He he has lifted them up from some low position to to a higher position. He's shown them grace uh, in the past. It's, It's especially evil for these two live a life of murmuring or discontent. This is a very great aggravation if you are discontented now. There was a time when you were low enough and perhaps when you were so low that you said, oh, if God would deliver me from such an affliction or give me but a little more wealth, I should think myself in a good condition. But if God by His providence does raise you, 
you are still greedy as of more as you were before, and as much discontented as you were before. Burroughs is saying that this is an aggravation of the sin of murmuring. This is an especially evil thing. Uh, those who've been raised from a low position to a higher position, those who've been shown God's mercy and grace, uh, ought not to be discontent, but ought to give thanks to God for the mercy shown to them. Number seven, for those to be discontented who have been very great sinners and ungodly in their former life. For men and women who have much guiltiness upon them, the guilt of very many sins upon them, who have provoked God exceedingly against them and have brought themselves in a most dreadful manner under the sentence of God's justice. And yet, God having been pleased to reprieve them, uh, for them to murmur and to be discontented with God's administrations towards them is exceedingly evil. You can almost picture Burroughs looking out upon the congregation and maybe he has some people in mind who are grumbling and complaining and yet he knows that the Lord has been exceedingly merciful to these because they lived a life of of vileness beforehand, of great sin and yet God has saved them, God has shown mercy to them and yet here they are as God's child now, uh, as that prodigal son having returned to the father let's say and they grumble and complain against the father He says this is a great evil. Number eight, for men who are of little use in the world to be discontent. This is an aggravation of the sin of murmuring. Uh, Here I think he has in mind those who really are not busy serving the Lord in the world. Um, For whatever reason, they're, they're, they're not really devoting themselves to the service of God or to the service of others, to the furtherance of God's kingdom. And yet here they are discontent before their their maker and before their master. This he calls a great evil. If we lived so as to be exceedingly useful to God and His church, we might expect that God would be pleased to come in some encouraging way to us. But when our conscience tells us we live and do but little service for God, why? What if God should turn us upon the commons? He's here referring to the common pastures. Um, There's an illustration here in this section about Um, farm animals, you know, those uh, animals that are very useful to their owner are given a special place amongst all the animals. They're given the premium food, you know, they're they're given a premium place in the barn, let's say. They're very much protected. Uh, Those animals who aren't so useful to to their owner are set out in in the common pastures to graze, you know, in, in the less premium places, let's say. And so here Burroughs is using that illustration saying, well, what if God should turn us upon the commons? We are being fed according to our work. Why should any creature be serviceable to you who are so little serviceable to God to mediate on this alone? Uh, Mediate. To meditate on this alone would much help us uh, to think. I am discontented because such and such creatures are not serviceable to me, but why should I expect them to be serviceable to me when I am not serviceable to God? That is the eighth aggravation. It's easy to get lost in there. Um, Lord, why am I not being served by the things of this world? Why are you not blessing me with worldly possessions? Why am I not being served by the creature? And Burroughs is saying, why don't you meditate upon this? Why are you not being serviceable to God? That's his point. You want to be served, blessed with worldly possessions, with worldly things. You're, you're upset that you're not being served by 
other creatures or other, other things, but sit, set your eyes upon the Lord and ask yourself the question, why am I, a creature, not being serviceable to God? Uh, so it is especially evil to be discontent, to grumble and complain when we're not even given our, giving ourselves to the service of the Lord and yet we complain against Him that He is not giving us the fine things of this life, let's say. Interesting point to think upon. Nine, for us to be discontented at a time when God is about to humble us. Uh, this is an aggravation of the sin of murmuring. To be discontented at a time when God is about to humble us. This point here, all of them are convicting. Whenever I read these points, all of them, I think, yeah, the world does not think this way at all. <laughs> you know? And even many Christians don't. We think the opposite. And I think these are true points and points that require reflection. But they are contrary to the way the world thinks for sure. This one in particular, here Burroughs is saying that it is especially evil to be discontent when God is humbling us, when He's bringing us low. That, that's the polar opposite of the way the world thinks. Wouldn't you agree? The world would say, no, that's exactly the time when, we, when, when it's reasonable for us to be discontent or reasonable for us to murmur in those periods of time when the Lord is, is bringing us to a low estate. Uh, he's bringing us into some affliction. He, we're lacking something that we wish to have. And in those times, those are the times when it's reasonable for a Christian even to grumble and complain, someone might say. But Burroughs is saying the opposite. It, it's, it's an aggravation of the sin of murmuring and discontent, to be discontented at a time when God is about to humble us. I think he explains it well here in this paragraph. It should be the care, it should be a, the care of a Christian to observe what are God's ways towards him. So we should pay attention to God's ways towards us. Uh, what is God doing in my life? Where is He leading me? Where is He taking me? So we should be aware of this. What is God about to do with me at this time? Is God about to raise me? To comfort me? Let me accept God's goodness and bless His name. Let me join with the work of God when He offers mercy to me. Uh, to take the mercy He offers so if God, what, what does the carnal man do if the Lord bestows some gift upon him, a blessing upon him, makes him rich, let's say? What does the carnal man do? What does the non-believer do with the, the wealth? Do they give glory to God um, as they are, are given this blessing? No, they, they forget God even more. Uh, you know, and Christ, even professing Christians can fall into this trap. You know, they're, they're led into a time of comfort into a time of prosperity, a time for blessing. Some, if they are not careful, can begin to forget God and they can think of themselves as uh, self-sufficient. You know, uh, they, 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 they stop depending upon God so much in the time of flourishing. So Burroughs is saying, you need to look at your circumstances in life and see that it is the Lord's will for you to walk through this season or that season. He's doing something in you so if He is causing you to flourish, see it as the hand of God and, and partner with God in His work. He's doing a work in you. Give glory to Him in the midst of your flourishing. But again, is God about to humble me? Uh, 
Is God about to break my heart and to bring my heart down to Him? Let me join with God in this work of His. This is how a Christian should walk with God. What is the text? We're to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God that in due time He might exalt us. This is what it means to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. It means to submit to Him uh, even as He brings you low. To submit to Him as He brings you low and we are to submit to Him also as He lifts us up. This is to be the way of the Christian. But so often what do we do when the Lord's will is to bring us low? We, we fight against the Lord. Uh, we might even grumble and complain against the Lord. Uh, this is a hard teaching, brothers and sisters, but it is certainly biblical. It, it comes down to humility before God, submitting ourselves to His ways, allowing Him to accomplish His work in us in every season, trusting that He will refine us even through the afflictions of life. This is what it means to walk by faith, I think, and especially in the midst of hardships. Ten. This also was a very interesting observation. The more palpable and remarkable the hand of God appears to bring about an affliction, the greater is the sin of murmuring and discontent under an affliction. Let me read the paragraph and then make some comments. Um, I think he clarifies what he means here. It is a great evil at any time to murmur and to be discontented. But though it is a sin, when I see an ordinary province, providence working for me not to submit to it, when I see an extraordinary providence working, that is a greater sin. That is to say, when I see the Lord working in some remarkable way, about an affliction beyond what anyone could have thought of. Shall I resist such a remarkable hand of God? Shall I stand out against God when I see his his expresses when I see he expresses his will in such a remarkable manner that he would have me to be in such a condition? Indeed, before the will of God is apparent, we may desire to avoid an affliction and may use means for it, but when we see God expressing his will from heaven, in a manner beyond what is ordinary and more remarkable, then certainly it is right for us to fall down and submit to Him, and not to oppose God when He comes with a mighty stream against us. There's a lot there. Um, to make it simple, he is saying it's always wrong for us to grumble and complain against God. That's even true when afflictions come upon us. That just seems to be kind of Ordinary, normal. You know, everyone's getting a cold and I've gotten a cold. It's an affliction. Don't grumble and complain against God, but submit to Him and trust Him. That's, a, that's an ordinary affliction, not an extraordinary one. You know, sometimes people lose jobs and I've lost a job. It's an ordinary affliction, one that is common to men. But perhaps you've been through seasons like this or you've seen others go through seasons like this. Where it's one thing after the next, the kinds of things where you look at God and you say, are you kidding me? <laughs> you know, really? Uh, I've just recovered from this and now this thing has come upon me, etc. I know that people have experienced things like this before. Again, some might look upon these extraordinary afflictions and say, now is the time where it is right for us to grumble and complain against God. It's justified. 
You know, if they were just ordinary afflictions, yet we should not grumble or complain. But, but given um, how many afflictions have come upon me in the past six months or, or whatever, then it's justified for me to complain against God. But Burroughs is saying again the opposite. He's saying, no, if it seems to you that the Lord has brought these afflictions upon you, almost in a supernatural way, then ought we not to submit to His hand in them? To see that it is His will. Everything is His will. We, we know that. There is a sense in which everything is His will. He does things and He permits things. Uh, we know this to be true. But sometimes you really sense His hand upon you, either to bless you or to bring you low. And He is saying that in a time like this, we ought to submit ourselves to the Lord and work with Him to see what it is that He is doing in our hearts and minds, where He is leading us in life. Again, a hard teaching, but a, a true teaching, one that we need to hear. I also appreciate in this uh, paragraph the reminder that, uh, that it is right for us to avoid afflictions and to use means to avoid them and to escape them. Again, when he talks about humbling yourself before the Lord, he, he's not saying give up. He's not saying don't use means to avoid afflictions or to escape afflictions. He's simply talking about the position of our heart before God. We, we ought to surrender in the heart before Him to say, Lord, this is my will, nevertheless not my will, but Your will be done. And though we might continue to use means to avoid or escape the affliction, whatever it may be, in the soul, in the soul, we are at peace before God. We submit ourselves to Him, whatever His will for us might be. Number 11, to be discontented Though God has been exercising us for a long time under afflictions, yet still to remain discontent is an aggravation of the sin of murmuring, he says. So once more, this is the opposite of what the world would say. Um, the world would say, if the affliction is extreme, then we are permitted to grumble. Burroughs, and I think the scriptures say, no, not even then. But we are submit, to submit ourselves to the hand of the Lord. And the world might also say, well, if the affliction has been very, very long, if it's lasted a long time, then we are permitted to grumble and complain and be discontent before God. And, and here Burroughs, and I think the Scriptures would say, no, even when the affliction is very long, we are to have contentment in the midst of it. And the way that Burroughs speaks to this is to say, if the affliction has been long and you are, net, uh, you are still discontent, what, what's taking you so long to learn the lesson of contentment? If the Lord's will is to bring you low and to, and to bring you into a place of submission to Him and dependence upon Him and to find your contentment in Him, if He's, tr if he's refining you in this way, trying to refine you in this way through the affliction and you are still not content in Him, that's an aggravation of the sin of murmuring and discontentment. What's taking you so long to learn this lesson that the Lord is... Uh, seeking to teach you, uh, to, to, to transfer your, your love from the things of this world to Him, or to transfer you from finding contentment in the things of the world to finding contentment in Him. Uh, what is taking so long to learn uh, that lesson? For a man or woman, when affliction first befalls them, to have a murmuring heart is an evil. But to have a murmuring heart when God has been a long time exercising them with affliction is more evil. I think here he is drawing our attention to the fact that Paul the Apostle said, I've learned to be content. 
So at first, Paul did not know how to do this so well. Afflictions would befall him, and he might struggle with contentment or discontentment. Um, But Paul, through practice, has learned uh, to be content. Uh, And and so I think Burroughs is, is speaking to the issue of long afflictions, If discontentment remains after an affliction has been long, well then we have not learned the lesson of contentment that we ought to have learned. Hebrews 12.11 is also set forth here. Uh, Now says the scripture, "No no chastening for the present is joyous but grievous, grievous, I'm sorry for my pronunciation, no chastening for the present is joyous but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Hebrews 12.11 It is true our afflictions are not joyous but grievous. So there is that acknowledgement again. Though at first when our affliction comes it is very grievous. Afterwards, says the text, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those that are exercised thereby. When you have been a long time in the school of afflictions, you are a very dullard, um, a novice in Christ's school, if you have not learned this contentment. I have learned, says St. Paul, in every estate wherewith to be content. Paul has learned this lesson quickly. You have been learning many years, he says to his congregation. You have been learning many years. Oh, it is a very evil thing if, having been exercised long with afflictions, you are not yet content. It's a sharp word of, of rebuke, isn't it, um, to his congregation? And in fact, I think I've left out some of the sharper parts. Uh, but yes, he's being very pointed here. Uh, do not think because your afflictions have been long, then you are right to grumble and complain against God. Instead, what Burroughs is saying is that you ought to learn this lesson of contentment more quickly. Learn it quickly. Lay a hold of it now as you surrender to the Lord, as you submit yourself to Him and find your contentment in Him and not in the pleasant things of this world. Do you guys still like this book or are you over it? (laughs) Uh, I I say that tongue-in-cheek, joking. It's challenging. It's very challenging. Um, I think... It's challenging for those who are in the midst of affliction to hear this kind of direct teaching. I I understand that. And it should also be challenging to those who are in the midst of really pleasant seasons. I hope what it's doing for those who are in the midst of pleasant seasons is driving you to ask the question, what would I do if the Lord were to afflict me? What would I do if the Lord were to take away these pleasant things from me? How would I respond? Would I be content? There's no way to know for sure. Uh, The Lord may test you. The Lord may test me in that way. Um, But certainly we need to prepare our hearts for that. Yes? We, We need to think upon it. We need to prepare ourselves. We need to ask ourselves the question, Is my contentment rooted in God and in Christ who do not change? Or is my contentment rooted in the pleasant things that the Lord has bestowed upon me in the moment? We need to self-reflect. And and if the answer is yes, I think my contentment is rooted in the pleasant things of this life, we need to make that shift now in preparation for the days when 
hard times might hard things might befall us. They may never come. They might come quickly. They might come in many years from now. But don't wait until they come to figure this out. That's the point. Set your heart upon God and Christ now in preparation for the evil days. As I said that, the, the, the little phrase, what if the Lord should choose to afflict me? I remembered that we did not even talk that way in the tradition that many of us came out of. This idea that the Lord would afflict His people. <laughs> in many churches, that would, that would seem to be blasphemous. Don't you agree? In many traditions, that would seem to be a blasphemous comment. The idea is this, the evil one afflicts us, but God's will is only to lead us into pleasant places. That is so thoroughly unbiblical, brothers and sisters. Go ahead and read the story of Job for yourself again and see if the point is not this, that the Lord gave Job over to these sufferings. The point is this, all things fall out according to God's eternal decree. He does raise His people up and bless them. He does allow them to experience afflictions, but they are blessed ultimately and for eternity in Christ Jesus, and He sanctifies us through the afflictions of life. He causes all things to work together for good for those who love Him and who are called according to His purpose. How could a Christian say the Lord does not afflict His people? Have they not read the Scriptures at all? They claim to have faith in Jesus Christ who suffered in the whole of life, who was crucified and died the most brutal death. This is your Lord and Savior. And this same Christ said to His people, if the world has hated me like this, they're going to hate you. And if I've been treated as such, you're going to be treated as such. And in this world, you will face tribulations. How could you claim to be a Christian and not see that the Lord works this way with His people? So we had better simply square with it. This is the way life is. This is the way the Lord works in His people. This is the way the Lord even brings glory to Himself. He brings glory to Himself as He sustains His people through afflictions and as they give glory to Him in the midst of them. He brings, he brings glory to Himself as His people are found giving thanks to Him in the midst of the trials and tribulations of life. As His people are found having faith in Him in the midst of difficult seasons. God is glorified in this. Uh, there, there's, a, there, there, there's a phrase out there uh, that I think is very helpful, that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. Have you ever heard that phrase before, that saying? I think it is true. It speaks to this issue of contentment. Um, God is more, most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. Uh, he, he's honored in this way. He, he's honored when our satisfaction is found in Him, when we're flourishing in life and in the things of this life, when we're prospering. And even more so, we might say, He is glorified in His people when they are satisfied in Him, when they are languishing when it comes to the things of this world, you see. Because it's in those moments that it is proven that He is our greatest love. Amen? Um, I got a little preachy there at the end of Emmaus Essentials, but I think this is important. And again, if you are experiencing affliction, I pray that you are encouraged by this teaching if you are living in a time of, of prosperity now and of, 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 of um, a pleasant time, uh, may the Lord help us to uh, really examine our own hearts. And I put myself in that category. Um, I, I feel as if I'm in a time of, of blessing and things are pleasant. Um, but may the Lord root our, our, our affections, our, our love, our contentment in Him and not in the things of this world.
I haven't left any time. Yeah. <laughs> right as I said that, you raised your hand. We have a little bit of time. Go ahead. That's a good point. I think that could be point 12. You know, it is an aggravation of the sin of murmuring when we murmur and complain uh, when the afflictions that have come upon us are the result of our own poor choices. That would be a good 12th point, in fact. Uh, People grumbling and complaining when they're simply experiencing the either natural or supernatural consequences for their own sin. Another question or comment, yes. Silence. When you're blessed and not giving thanks and praise to God, silence can almost be a form of murmuring. Yeah, I, I suppose it could be put that way. Um, yeah. As you say that, I don't know why this came to mind. We should pray and give thanks to God before we eat our daily bread. It's not just a tradition. I, I think it's a very important spiritual practice because in doing that, are we not training ourselves to live that life of gratitude before God, even for the little blessings like this meal that is before us now. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a good observation, Tom. We need to be grateful. Any other thoughts? Yes. Yeah, I, well, I think the answer is that the, the place that we go to for contentment is communion with God in the covenant of grace. Communion with God in the covenant of grace. And, and that's not our plan B, that's our plan A. Um, we're to find our contentment through communion with God, through faith in Christ Jesus in the covenant of grace, and all of the treasures that are ours in Him. That's plan A even if we're multimillionaires and healthy and have loved ones all around us. That's still plan A. Contentment, satisfaction, peace is rooted in communion with God through faith in Jesus Christ and the covenant of grace. So if 
we continue to prosper, we're content in God and in Christ. If we lose it all, we're content in God and in Christ. Um, that is where our peace is to be found. It's to be found in Him, for He is the only thing that is eternal and unchanging. So, he is the only faithful one. So we just say it to the woman in Yes, it has to be God and Christ and the covenant of grace. Otherwise, um, these promises in Scripture don't make any sense. Because uh, the prophets of God of old were sawn in two. Christ was crucified. The disciples of Jesus were martyred. Um, the, everything was taken from them. They lived lives of poverty and the fringes suffering persecution. Uh, so, our contentment, if it is promised to us, if it is offered to us, uh, must be rooted in Him. And if we enjoy the good things of this life, then we are to enjoy them to the glory of God with our love and our contentment not being rooted in them, but in God Himself. And it's in that way that we enjoy the good things of this life properly and not in an idolatrous fashion, I think. Let's pray. Father in Heaven, thank You for this study and for the conversation that has followed. I pray that You would help us to understand these things and to lay a hold of this precious gift. Um, may our contentment be rooted in You and in Christ, we pray in His name. Amen.